0: Hello and welcome to this episode of Trial Talk from the Medical Research Council Clinical Trials Unit at UCL. This episode focuses on the results of the ARREST trial, which looked at how to improve treatment for patients with Staphylococcus aureus bacteremia. Staph aureus bacteremia is a common and life-threatening infection with around 12,000 cases each year in the UK. Despite this, less than 1,600 participants have been enrolled in randomised controlled trials of antibiotic therapy for this infection over the last 50 years. I spoke to members of the team who ran the arrest trial to find out more. Martin Llewellyn is a consultant in the Department of Microbiology and Infection at Brighton and Sussex University Hospital's NHS Trust and was an investigator on the arrest trial.
1: So the current treatment for staph bacteremia involves intravenous antibiotics, uh, usually given for a duration of at least two weeks, sometimes uh, up to four or even six weeks, And uh, we usually use a penicillin antibiotic as the main backbone agent, sometimes other drugs for patients who have antibiotic-resistant infections, so MRSA infections. And one of the key questions is whether or not one drug is sufficient for these patients or whether some patients may benefit from a combination of different antibiotics. One of the issues with staph aureus bacteremia infections is that a certain proportion of patients will fail current treatment. So a proportion of patients will suffer either spread of infections to different body sites, or indeed recurrence of infection after standard antibiotics have finished. And this may affect up to 20 or even 25-30% of patients. And so there's always been a a wish to try and find out if there are other things we could do to try and reduce this, this rate of complications.
0: Jennifer Bostock is a patient representative on the Arrest Trial Steering Committee.
2: I've known people who've both died and survived from similar infections, staph infections. And the difference between the two lies apparently in the success of the treatment. Um, The success depends upon good quality evidence, and you only get that from research trials, and arrest is one such trial. So if we're going to improve treatments and separate the people who die from the people who don't and turn the people who I've lost into the people I haven't, we're going to do that through things like arrest
0: Guy Thwaites is a professor of infectious diseases at the University of Oxford and was the chief investigator of the arrest trial
3: The question we were interested in was whether if you added an extra antibiotic and the antibiotic that we're really interested in is called rifampicin whether if you added that antibiotic you got a better outcome from staph bacteremia and the hypothesis behind this was that rifampicin is a an antibiotic with different properties from both the glycopeptides and the beta-lactams in that it gets inside cells very easily and it's active in biofilms. And therefore, we wondered whether if you added it to standard treatment, you would get enhanced killing of the bacteria, therefore reduced dissemination of the bacteria in the bloodstream and improved outcomes. And the outcome, obviously, that we were most interested in was death, but we're also interested in whether you got reduced dissemination of the bacteria to the other parts of the body. So, very simply, the question was, if you give rifampicin as an adjunctive agent or an extra antibiotic, does it reduce mortality and reduce the chance of the bacteria seeding to other parts of the body and causing problems?
0: Susan Hopkins is a consultant in infectious diseases and microbiology at the Royal Free London NHS Foundation Trust and was an investigator on the ARREST trial.
4: We were particularly interested in the ARREST study at this centre because, one, we had large numbers of patients, um, 100 to 200 a year at at one stage, but secondly, because we had large variations in practice across the UK. Our previous observational study showed that some centres used lots of rifampicin and others didn't, and we didn't understand whether this was contributing to patient outcomes. Finally, there was biological plausibility about why Raphampson may work. Um, It looked like that in vitro studies, that it may cause killing of inside the cell. And there's also been evidence over time in observational studies that it may reduce relapses, recurrences and death, particularly with those with deep invasive disease.
0: What sort of patients did the ARES trial
3: include? They were all adults, so they were all aged 18 or over. Um, They all had to have... Staph aureus grown from one or more blood cultures and they all also had to be very early in their treatment um, so they had to have a less than 96 hours worth of active antibiotic treatment for that infection and this was one of the challenges really because finding those patients quickly enough um, was quite difficult but it was very important that we treated them early or gave rifampicin early because we thought that if rifampicin was going to have an effect it needed to Have that effect or needed to be in the body early so that it could kill the bacteria and um, improve outcome as a consequence. So the trial was run um, in 30 centres across the United Kingdom um, and uh, all large NHS centres and included 30 microbiology departments.
0: And how long did you follow up these patients for?
3: So we followed them up for 12 weeks from the start, from from, from randomisation. Most people would not receive more than 12 weeks of treatment. Very occasionally people do um, for very complicated infections, but most people didn't. In fact, the average, um, or the median rather, duration of treatment was 28 days. Um, So, and most people were discharged after that time point. But we felt it was important to to follow up for longer because of the potential for disease recurrences occurring um, after the end of treatment.
0: Sarah Walker is a Professor of Medical Statistics and Epidemiology at the Medical Research Council Clinical Trials Unit at UCL. What we found was that uh, patients who took rifampicin,
5: in addition to their standard antibiotic, uh, 18% of them, either the infection wasn't cured or it came back again or they died in the first 12 weeks. Uh, and that percentage was 19% in those who got the placebo tablets, as well as their standard antibiotics. So that difference is far too small to be anything other than a chance effect.
0: Did rifampicin have any impact on any of the other
5: outcomes you looked at? It didn't have any impact at all on how likely patients were to die. So in actual fact, 56 patients in each of the groups um, died in the first 12 weeks. And we also looked for longer-term um, deaths, and actually, even over two to three years, there was absolutely no difference between the groups in the numbers who died. What we did find, however, was that there was a small difference in the percentage of patients where the infection came back after it had been uh, successfully treated. And that happened in one in a hundred patients who got rifampicin with their standard antibiotic compared to 4 in 100 patients who got placebo. So that was a real difference, but it was quite small. We didn't find any evidence of a particular type of patient uh, who, would, who would definitely benefit from rifampicin. We looked at a lot of different groups, so 20 in all, and so there were some where there were some questions about whether or not there might be effect, but certainly nothing convincing enough to say these type of patients should definitely get the drug.
3: Guy Thwaites. One of the long-standing concerns of using rifampicin is is its combinations of of, of both side effects but also its interaction with other drugs. It has this unusual property of of enhancing the metabolism of a range of different drugs. And therefore, the interactions are clinically really quite important with a number of different uh, uh, drugs. And this can be clinically very important. And we found this in that there there was... um, A large number of patients, or a high proportion of patients, who had to stop the study drug or weren't able to enter the trial even because of the potential interactions between rifampicin and the drugs they were on. So this is one of the potential problems. But we also saw a number of um, adverse events as a consequence of rifampicin. Everyone expects it to have problems with the liver, Um, and cause hepatitis, that's very well known, but in fact we found very little evidence of increased risk of hepatitis. It was a relatively short uh, course of rifampicin, only two weeks, and this isn't altogether surprising. But what we did find was was quite surprising was that there was a, a much greater incidence of renal failure in the rifampicin treated patients. This has been reported before but I don't think anyone or certainly I didn't realise that it was quite so common a consequence of giving rifampicin so that was an interesting finding from the trial.
0: So what do you think these results mean for how patients with staph aureus bacteremia should be treated?
3: Well I think what our trial shows is that there is a very modest benefit of giving rifampicin in terms of reducing a slight reduction in the numbers of late recurrences of the disease. However, this needs to be balanced against the considerable complications of receiving rifampicin. I've mentioned the problems with um, interactions before, but also all of the toxic, um, the, the adverse events that occur as a consequence. And so in our opinion, we don't think that these adverse events and these adverse effects outweigh that small benefit and therefore we don't think um, that there is any benefit in giving rifampicin to people with Staphyrus bacteremia and we wouldn't advise it. Doctors in the UK and in Europe and and elsewhere in the world actually have been using rifampicin for a long time for Staphyrus bacteremia. Some doctors believe very strongly it, it works and others were more sceptical like us. Um, but I think we've shown that, that really it doesn't cause overall benefit and therefore, to stop its use will benefit patients. It will it will reduce their um, exposure to this drug, which causes considerable problems, as we've shown. Um, and it will also keep preserved a really important drug. Um, rifampicin is one of the mainstays, or the main drug, for the treatment of tuberculosis. And if it were used more widely, then there would be increased risk of resistance developing, um, both to aureus, but also more generally to to other infections and and tb would be a major concern. So I think especially in this in this day and age where we're really really trying to make sure we use antibiotics very wisely so that we prevent resistance to have a trial that demonstrates that you shouldn't probably use this this antibiotic is is almost as helpful as having a trial that tells you that you should. So I think it's an important result for patients and and populations generally.
0: Susan Hopkins.
4: So it's clear that these results in general mean that in all patients, uh, rifampicin cannot be recommended. However, rifampicin did have uh, a benefit in reducing recurrences, and that may be significant, especially in the younger cohort of patients. Uh, And it may also help us identify in looking further at those patients, what are the subgroups that may benefit from rifampicin? This study doesn't answer that, and it wasn't part of our primary or secondary analysis, but we do need to look at this further.
3: There are also other interesting questions around whether there are certain strains of bacteria that cause more problems in people, whether indeed there are different types of genes in those people who are getting the infections that might affect their severity or their outcomes. So we'll be looking at a number of different um, aspects of Staph bacteremia with, with the data from this trial that really is going to be, it's going to be a really unique resource to, to understand this disease in more detail.
0: Susan Hopkins
4: We have collected um, blood from patients so that we can understand the immunological parameters. So we may be able to understand why certain patients responded differently to others. We've also collected pharmacokinetics, so drug-level data, on patients. And that will make us understand what is the patient's response to drug in the body and are there differential responses to different patient groups. Um, and finally, we've also collected samples on from the nose um, swabs of patients as well. So we can see if the same bacteria in the noses are in the blood or if it's actually a different bacteria in the blood.
5: Sarah Walker. I think the other thing to say is that, you know, very sadly in this trial you know, one in six patients still died. So even though rifampicin um, didn't help them, there may well be other things that we can do to improve how patients are managed uh, in future when they get a bloodstream infection from Staph aureus and that the data we've collected, we want to try
0: and see how, how we can do that. Running a large trial in an acute infection like Staph aureus bacteremia is not straightforward and the arrest team faced a number of challenges. This condition is not very rare so
5: 12,000 people a year Um, but obviously they're very sick with it and they present at all times of day and night and weekends and research is, is much easier to do when you're recruiting patients who have a chronic condition who arrive at a clinic and where a research nurse can come and sit in a clinic and talk to 30 people and enroll five in a study. And here, patients turned up very sporadically and at, at you know, complicated times of day and night. And it really made running the trial very challenging. Uh, and it's a real testament to the doctors and nurses involved that we recruited 770 patients at all. I also think it's very difficult being a patient who's acutely unwell and being asked to join a study. And uh, several patients said, you know, things like, it was just all too much. I, I couldn't cope. I couldn't deal with it. It's too much information. Um, but again, if we don't run studies like this, then patients who present like that, very sick, who have a high risk of dying, we won't know the best way to treat them. So it's really a bit of a catch-22. Um, what I can say is that we, we carried on and we had a great group of really committed clinicians who uh, ended up recruiting nearly three times as many patients into this trial than have ever been in a Staph aureus bacteremia trial before. And, uh, and it's, it's a great achievement.
0: Guy
3: One of the challenges was the fact that we had to get recruit patients very very early on in their therapy. Now that meant that the teams had to be very sharp and had to identify a patient and go out and see them. Perhaps, you know, they, they have lots of busy, lots of other clinical commitments, but they had to drop everything really and and, and act for the, for the benefit of the trial, to go out and see those patients and see whether they would, would enter the trial. So that was, that was really hard work. But then they have to follow them up, they have to collect all of the data. Now they may have um, teams to, to help them do that, but nonetheless everyone had to work incredibly hard to collect the quality of data that we have.
0: Martin Llewellyn, what message would you give to patients about the arrest results?
3: So to patients who
1: participated in the trial, I would uh, really want them to understand that the trial has been very important, has really made a difference to the management of patients with the condition that they suffered from, in particular making sure that in future patients managed for that condition will have treatment which is much better evidence-based than it's ever been in the past.
0: Susan Hopkins, what message would you give to your colleagues about these results?
4: So again, I would say that we wouldn't recommend rifampicin. So rifampicin is clearly not recommended. I would like to provide that, though, and say that we didn't recruit perhaps the sickest patients into the study, and we also didn't recruit very many patients who had endocarditis at baseline, particularly endocarditis caused by prosthetic valves, as that was a relative contraindication, as many guidelines recommend rifampicin in that group. So we can't answer the question in that cohort. Um, we would recommend, though, that patients with Staphylococcus aureus bacteremia should have an infection specialist review, should have the source identified, um, and should be treated for a minimum of 14 days.
0: Guy Thwaites.
3: I would encourage doctors to look at the paper, because within the paper is an awful lot of data, an awful lot of unique data that tells us much about Staphylococcus aureus bacteremia as a disease, but also about how rifampicin affects the disease. Many doctors will think that there may be subgroups that benefit particularly from rifampicin and uh, they can look at the data in the paper and see whether those particular prejudices are apparent or true. But I still think the overall message is that rifampicin doesn't benefit people with staph bacteremia. But I think the other really important message is that we've got to do trials like this because if we don't, then we will continue to treat patients without sufficient evidence.
0: The arrest trial has significantly increased the evidence base on how to treat Staph aureus bacteremia, but we still have much to learn about how best to treat severe bacterial infections. Martin Llewellyn.
1: So in terms of Staph aureus bacteremia patients, I, I guess the, 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 the following studies that would be interesting to do would be to look at uh, the, the use of all agents instead of IV therapy, because that would obviously be a big advantage for patients, and looking at shortened duration of therapy. But clearly Staph always bacteremia is just one of a whole range of severe bacterial infections that affect patients in the NHS, and particular interest at the moment is around other antimicrobial resistant infections, so gram-negative bacteremia for example, and these may actually be the, the most important areas for trials to address next.
0: The arrest trial was only possible thanks to the 758 patients who agreed to take part in it. Jennifer Bostock has this message for them.
2: So, first of all, a big thank you to all for taking the time and for taking the risk. I know how difficult it is. And for helping doctors and patients in the future by providing evidence that's crucial for treatment. It's only through patients signing up for research that research can be done, that new drugs can be invented, new treatments and therapies introduced, and that doctors. Patients and relatives have confidence that the best possible treatments are given and are available to be given. In serious infections, such as the one the patients had who took part in the arrest study, this thanks is even greater. I know what it is to have a serious infection and what it's like to lose a loved one from one. But by participating in arrest, the patients and relatives have helped build the evidence that will go a long way to ensuring that all patients get the most effective treatment. Let's not forget that in the arrest trial, there were relatives who very bravely, confidently, perhaps apprehensively, also said yes to their loved ones to take part in this study. So a big thank you to them too.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Trial Talk. If you'd like to find out more about the arrest trial, visit bit.ly forward slash arrest trial. To hear other episodes of Trial Talk, visit bit.ly forward slash trial talk.